right, and welcome back to another episode of The Devil Wears Rossonero, the official podcast of SB Nation's AC Milan Offside. I'm Patrick Stoll, he's Tim Fontenault, at Stoll underscore P, at Tim underscore Fontenault on Twitter, and at SBN Rossonero is where you can always get a hold of us. And big news, folks. I hope everyone has gotten over the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl halftime show. More on that in a second. But it is interweek. It is officially interhate week on The Devil Wears Rossonero. So I don't know about you, but this is your friendly reminder that Milan is red, uh, despite the last result where Tim and I hopped on this podcast and raged for about an hour on Milan's inability to get anything right. But as we've said before, new decade new year new milan and this is quite frankly a very very different team than played in the last derby so we have some hope there alongside inter hate week and the absolute madness that is the transfer market uh milan managed to make an addition make a couple sales um, almost made another addition um, that just didn't happen at all. There are reports of a possible new manager and a new sporting director. We'll get to that as well. Uh, and a debut for our very beloved Daniel Maldini. All that and more on The Devil Wears Rossonero. But I will bring in Tim Fontenot, my co-host, Tim uh, have you recovered from the Super Bowl halftime show yet? <laughs> Seeing as that's the only part of the Super Bowl I watched, um, I have to say no. It was epic. It was so. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry to cut you off. You I I knew this was wa- going to happen. You, yeah. Okay. See, I didn't know this. Bef- I didn't know this coming in. We actually we're 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 all finding this out in real time now. So you did not watch the Super Bowl. I did not watch the Super Bowl. So are you not a big football guy? Or yeah. Are you... Okay. Okay. So okay. I will say yeah. um, I am currently a fantasy football champion. I do want to point that oh, out. All right. Um, Props better than me. Actually, shout out to George Kittle. And I do have to shout out Anthony Sherman in the Super Bowl. UConn Husky had the huge block I hear on that touchdown at the end of the game. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Fifth UConn Husky to ever win a Super Bowl. You know, we, nice. we do football sometimes. Um, Not with Randy Edsley, you don't. Yeah, well, we try. We made it to a Fiesta Bowl with him one time. We beat Notre Dame, but that was like, that was old Randy Edsel. That was pre-your school Randy Edsel. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But honestly, for as horrible as it is, UConn football is really the only thing that I watch. Mm, it's just okay. like. And I mean, I I root for the Patriots because I am a well, I, I'm a New Englander. It's just like, so. I mean, it's just I've got so much other stuff going on. You know, I am working in working in soccer and so heavily invested in that that I just, you know, I just football is not my favorite. It's sure. not my big thing, but you know. I'm glad I'm glad other people enjoy it and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be one of those guys who sits there the whole the whole Super Bowl just like oh I'm not watching the Super Bowl I'm just you know yeah see see that's actually why 
I was surprised because you didn't watch the Super Bowl, but you also like I didn't know coming in that you didn't watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a very like backwards scenario where yeah. next thing you know, you're going to tell me that you do CrossFit oh. and that you're vegan. Oh, God, no. Actually, I was during the Super Bowl. I worked until seven. I came home. I had a whole bunch of laundry to do because I was really behind on that. And I um, I just had to get ready for the next day because I was getting up at 5.30 in the morning to try to go to the gym before work because I'm trying to get into a, a healthier lifestyle of not going to the gym after work, waking up early and then going and getting to bed at a normal hour sometimes. Yeah, so, you know. My girlfriend was watching and had a really good time watching it. Her reactions helped me to figure out what was going on during the game. So there was that. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, all right. Well, I, I honestly don't know where to go from here. This started with, <laughs> have you recovered from the halftime show? And this turned into, wait, Tim doesn't watch football slash the hey, Super Bowl. Hey. Our Super Bowl is Sunday. This coming Sunday. That is true. There are very few things in AC Milan season, especially because we're not in Europe, um, that are bigger. In fact, none are than the match against Inter coming up on this coming Sunday. Uh, before we get to that, I do want to, and friendly reminder, Milan is red. Um, I do want to cover the Hellas Verona game. Uh, it was 1-1. I'm going to be completely honest with you. My hype coming into it as much as, you know, the whole we haven't lost in 2020. Still intact, by the way. Still have not lost in 2020. Um, but yet again, a despite our best attempts game where, um, by all accounts, I, I was not able to watch the game. Um, but by all accounts, the game was, one, really not good. Two, uh, the team really didn't play well and it sounded some alarm bells. Uh, and three, Chalonoglu scored again because evidently we are in the year of Chalonoglu now. I didn't know who set that up, but if who, whoever made that happen, if you can let us know next time um, so that, you know, we, we're just not caught off guard. Uh, and four, uh, Hellas Verona's goal was pretty much entirely because while Teo Hernandez is one of the best left backs in the league, uh, he is not uh, one of the best defenders in the league. Um, still better than Ricardo Rodriguez, um, but 1-1, we take the point, I guess, and we move on, and now it's interweek, and that's really all I got on Hellas Verona. Yeah, um, I'm just going to elaborate on your Teo Hernandez take real quick. Um, I think we often miss a word when we describe Teo Hernandez as a left back. We forget that word wing in the middle. And I think that it's become very clear that he can't defend um, or isn't very good at it. I think that we all became very glaringly aware of that, uh, that Verona goal. Uh, and it started to make those questions about the formation come up again. Um, you know, the four four two has been fine going forward, but Teo's not a left back, like a proper defending left back. Andrea Conti playing over there 
is not good on the right. Breaking Gavi, news. Yeah, just just need to He's remind people of that just every week. Not good. Calabria is not having the best. He was the one who was starting that match, by the way. Calabria. Um, he hasn't been great. And you mentioned that we made a signing that Alexis Salermakers, I believe, is uh, Salermakers. Saler. So the the pronunciation guide. I li- I had to Google this because AC Milan's newest signing is Belgian. We'll start there. And I had to Google the name pronunciation because and we've all seen the name. I am literally going to spell it out. S-A-E-L-E-M-A-E-K-E-R-S. So my first instinct was Salamakers. Yes. I Googled it, and what came up for me was a UEFA.com article from the U21 Euros titled How to Pronounce the Players' Names Correctly. And I said, all right, let's get it. Let's let's figure this out. And the pronunciation on UEFA.com is Saller, S-A-L-L-E-R, dash makers, M-A-K-E-R-S. That was weird. Saller makers. So, uh, again, despite our best attempts, right? By all accounts, it should probably just be Salamakers or Sally Mockers. I feel like his name, as as it apparently is, goes against everything I've ever known about Belgian names, which is just from watching the Belgian national team. Yeah, I'm honestly, I, I mean, I'm excited about the kid. He seems to have a lot of potential. Um, but I also, again, if, when, first of all, if we're going to make a signing like this and we, if we can just know ahead of time so that we're all prepared to pronounce his name, second of all, if we're going to do this, can we get just a five second video of him saying his own name? Yeah. I I might've missed that. That's probably somewhere, um, which, you know, I, I work in radio. We've had to dig these things up before Moise Keen is the most recent example. No one knows how to actually say that dude's name. Um, But this is the latest and greatest name that no one is ever going to pronounce correctly because I'm getting Salar makers here and there's no way that I'm going to remember it's Salar makers because under that assumption, shouldn't it be say Lee makers yeah this is the same ae Saley makers but then this pronunciation guide is doing me a disservice by the way just to take you behind the curtain for a second tim and i were trying to figure out this name and like going back and forth on pronunciations for a solid five minutes yeah this was a rough one so this is nothing this is absolutely nothing compared to what we did off air before we started recording so yeah uh, Anyway, I'll, I'll give it back to you. Salar makers? Yeah, I, I I guess that's it. When you mentioned that clubs should be putting these things out, they really should be. I was really appreciative when you mentioned one of my other favorite teams, Everton, with Moise Ken. But going to my other favorite team, Orlando City, um, my favorite team beside my favorite team and my other favorite team, um, when Juan came in last year, Brazilian right back, 
fastest player in MLS. His name looks like Ruan, R-U-A-N. Some people were saying Rune. Uh, No one knew how to say it. And they just put out a little thing on their Instagram story and on Twitter. And it was just, hey, guys, this is Huan. And it was like, well, there we go. There you go. Easy as Uh, that. So that just made it easy for everyone. That's the way it should be. I think there was another signing. I forget who it was. Um, but it, it was some, it was one of the British clubs. Uh, it was either Arsenal. It might've been Everton, but they signed, I forget who they signed. Was this Jean-Philippe Gabanim, Gabamine? I still can't say it right. Uh, The Everton midfielder. It might've been, but they basically posted like, Hey friends, Hey guys, like this is how you say his name. And it's just him saying like, just straight up his name. But there's also a video of Moise Keaton. Moise Keen, Moise Ken, Mo- Moise. I, see, I say it different thing. every time. <laughs> here's the thing, though. We we were told, so we were all basically saying, like, Moise Keen, and then we were corrected, and then, like, he was asked in an interview what it was, and it was, like, Moise Keen. So we all, like, fixed our pronunciation to say Ken, because someone told someone else Ken, and then we all said Ken for like six months, and then we heard him say it, and we're like, great, sweet. So we've been saying it wrong this whole time. That's awesome. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a video of that now. There's Yeah, it's it's a mess. I need this guy to say his name um, because I don't trust anybody. But he made an appearance against Hellas Verona. Yes, and the point is that he is a really good wing back, and he apparently plays right back, right wing back, and right wing. He's a very versatile player on that side. So maybe the way to go is Teo on the left as a wing back, Salar Makers as the right wing back. You've got Romagnoli, Kajar, and Musacchio back there. 3 5 2. I think that you can make that work with I think the mentioning player I was next gonna mention was Ben Asser, who I think was very badly missed in this game. I yeah. think that was a huge difference. Not having him, not having Ibrahimovic. I think you can get away with having Masakio back there instead of Kajar. Yeah. I'm probably saying his name too wrong, but you know what? We're gonna move past it. Um it was very evident not having those guys in. And Rebic playing from the start, you know, he had some chances, but I've really liked him coming off the bench late in these matches and seeing what he can do from there. But I think that 3-5-2 might not be a bad idea. I think it gives you a little more dynamism going forward. I think it'll make them a little sounder defensively. And because, you know, the I feel like the midfielders necessarily wouldn't have to be so heavily involved in the attack and they can kind of be that supporting cast for the three center backs. The only worry I would have would be center back depth. Yeah, because right now with Duarte out and the fact that they just got rid of Caldara, which you know what could have been may never be forgotten. You've got Gabia as a backup center back, and that's about it right now. Yeah. So one injury away, one injury away from having to go right back to a two center back thing. If only Daniel Maldini was a defender like his father and his grandfather. But we also don't know enough about Daniel Maldini in general anyway. 
So yeah, that's my very... horrible segue into the rest of this match. Um, the only other thing right before we get into Maldini um, about the three back thing. I'm with you. I think that could work. The only problem besides center back depth is if we can catch up to teams on the counter with three in the back because I've seen us be a complete mess when it's only when when it's four mainly because our left back is a wing back not a actual true left back and our right backs forget how to play sometimes so you really end up kind of with two because they're just kind of on an island um but i would hope that with a three back system we'd have more built-in support for the counter and our midfield would be able to get back like faster i would be concerned about getting exposed on the counter but i would also be concerned with the classic and this is like beating a dead horse right like we haven't done it before how's it gonna go and like Pioli would be a genius if he did it and it worked right and it's like oh my god you know they shut out enter like three five two for the win but if they play a three five two against I'll, I'll use Inter as an example. I, I'm not sure if that would be the best idea. No, it wouldn't. It would, You can't change <laughs> things going into a derby. Yeah, so uh, like instead of Inter, let's use who do we have after? Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, Juventus in the Copa Italia. Not that either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Torino. Let's say against Torino or Fiorentina or Genoa. You were to say, you know what? Let's try a 3-5-2. Although at that point you're in March. Anyway, let's give it a shot, right? And let's say you just get absolutely flayed out there. Like, let's say you give up two goals to a team that isn't your quality and you get your your typical one or two uh, or the midfield doesn't unlock because you're not used to it yet and you end up either getting like one or none, right? So let's say you lose against like Genoa who are 18th. And that's the game you do a 3-5-2. Like the manager is going to get eaten alive for that. So that that would be my only concern is like, it's really good if it works, but if it doesn't work, we're going to be on this podcast being like, oh my God, we cannot get, you know. I will say it's kind of funny that... I was thinking about this when the conversation started coming up on Milan Twitter about three five two. And I was like, I wonder if Vincenzo Montella is on Twitter and seeing the conversation about maybe Milan should play a three five two. And <laughs> maybe just, we should try out just, a different formation. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I just thinking about like we should experiment with a three five two, and he's just like, we already did it. We tried. Um, although, yeah, yeah, that that's a good point. Different I like times, but. <laughs> different times and yeah that's true a guy who hasn't has no clue versus a guy who clearly has some sort of clue in pioli um so before we close out hell's verona the most notable thing and this is legitimately the most notable thing that happened in the hell's verona game is uh daniel maldini making his first team debut uh in the one one draw 
Uh, so he is 18. He is the third generation now of the Maldini family, the Hall of Fame family, the legendary family of AC Milan uh, to play for AC Milan. Uh, so his father, obviously uh, the greatest of all time, Paolo Maldini, uh, and he played 35, or his debut was 35 years ago, and 66 years ago, Cesare Maldini debuted. So 1954, Cesare Maldini, 1984, Paolo Maldini, 2020, Daniel Maldini. Uh, as you mentioned, he's not a defender, which feels odd. Uh, he also wears number 98 and does not wear three. Uh, those of you who are um, up to date on your AC Milan lore uh, will know, um, and this is just a fun fact, it doesn't actually matter, but the number three is reserved. or re It is not reserved. It is retired. That was Maldini's number. It was retired. But there's a condition saying that Maldini's son could wear number three if they so chose to uh so i'm kind of glad that daniel maldini didn't say like give it to me now like let's roll because this is his debut he was good in the primavera uh he's an attacking midfielder he has eight goals and five assists in all competitions for the primavera which i things you like to hear and uh that i mean we didn't really see a lot from him except for his debut. So it's it's not time to judge Daniel Maldini. But a fun thing that we all kind of get to enjoy is Paolo Maldini's son is now in the first team. And that is what happens when you make a couple sales and don't add, you know, as many as you sold. You end up getting some youth guys up there and I'm excited the name Maldini, you're, you, you know, <laughs> you're good with me. Um, hope he does well. Hope he works out. Excited to see what he can do. I'd love, if Maldini scores against Inter, I, I think we have to shut it down. Like, I, I think by rule, I think you have to liquidate Inter. Yeah, you hate to see it. But no, I mean, like, that would probably be the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life is if he is I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, it's not like he's going to start. He's not that we don't as you mentioned. We don't know anything about him. We didn't see enough of him in the preseason. We didn't see enough of him in this game. We the the Primaveras are playing in I think the second division right now because they got relegated last year. So, another reason why maybe Gennaro Gattuso shouldn't have been brought up to the first team. But um, I'll digress there because we can go on a really long path. Uh, look, it's just, it's really cool because Maldini is the royal family of our club. It is one of the most famous names in football because of a legendary grandfather, the greatest defender of all time. And now it's in the third generation. And that's really cool to see. And, you know... It's been such a long time coming because Christian was in the youth system from 2004 and he was there for 12 years and he was a center back 
or he is a center back. He's he's still around. He's playing in um, he's playing in Serie D right now. He's playing way down on, at Procesto, um, according to his heavily updated Wikipedia page. Um, so there was that was the kind of the hope at the time that you know maybe maybe he would be the next number three for Milan, and maybe he was the next generation of this great Maldini, but it skipped a generation. And here's Daniel, a more a more of an attacking player, um, which is just very weird for those of us who got to see Paolo. And, you know, the last time there was a Maldini on the field in a first-team match, I cried like a baby because it was the final game of Paolo Maldini. And I just... Oh, even thinking back to that day, I just, I'm almost crying now. But um, that was, you know, that that day, Maldini's final game was the end of an era. Because I he played his final game at the San Siro. And then the following week, they went on the road. I believe they went to Fiorentina to end the 08-09 season. And he didn't play in that game because they wanted it to be at the San Siro. And... That next game was, next thing you know, come the next Serie A season, no more Baldini, no more Ancelotti, no more Kaká. And it was just, that I feel like was the turning of the page. The story still wasn't over because we got that Serie A title. But then that was when the writing was really on the wall that things were about to get really different at Milan. And we know we know the rest of the very, very sad story since then. Um, and here we and are. And here we are. And, you know, you can see this. You know, I'm, I'm getting really ridiculous here talking about, like, maybe there's, like, maybe this is, like, a symbolic start of a new generation at Milan. It's absolutely not because there are so many problems still at this club that Daniel Maldini is not going to be the solution to them. But he's 18. He's done very well for himself in the youth ranks. He's earned many Italian youth call-ups. He's got a lot of promise from all accounts. I mean, he's not just in this team. He's not getting on the field in a Serie A match just because of his name. That's just not going to be the case. So, And not because his father is a technical director at the club. He earned his way into that team and but like you said it's partly because they didn't bring in players to replace the players that they've sold and there's a lot of work to rebuild this squad and that's the situation they're in now we were just talking about the fact that gabia is the next guy up if one of our center backs goes down probably and you know case in point with maldini so We'll see what happens, but we can be really excited about the fact that we got to see that name on the back of a red and black shirt again. Absolutely. I, I just to give you one more couple number or a couple more numbers here. Pella Maldini featured nine hundred and one times for Milan. Cesare played three hundred and eighty-six. Daniel Maldini is now at one. So we're not going to sit here and be like, he is the next coming. We'd love if he was. Like, if this kid has the it factor that Paolo had, hang on tight. Um, but I also don't want to get overexcited because, one, he's 18. Two, he literally was on the field for, like, a few minutes. 
and three if the past eight years uh because i've i've told you this before uh the first season i watched ac milan was 2012 2013 the el sharawi season so i never saw maldini play um i didn't see i didn't see any of them like i saw this is the first time this is weird this is the first time i'm seeing ibrahimovic play in an ac milan jersey um i didn't see you know nesta bracy gattuso inzaghi maldini sedorf uh dida you know etc 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 um, considering there were literally, it was literally like a whole different roster um, up to the year and two years before I started watching um, soccer. Um, so my first season was the El Shirawi season. I never saw any of these guys and I didn't see Maldini. And so since I've started watching AC Milan, um, if these eight years have taught me literally anything it's uh don't get too excited about anything because you have no idea if and when it's going to come crashing down um case in point El Shrawi no longer at the club he was like the brightest bulb we had he was the brightest spot we had Mario Balotelli no longer at the club he was the brightest spot we had um Ricardo Montalivo was captain for how long um too long um Donnarumma almost left, could potentially leave. He's the brightest spot we have. Romagnoli is the best purchase we've made in years and years and years. And he's like the model of what we should be having. Uh, Bonaventura is one of the brightest spots we have. Everyone else, revolving door. You know, the whole club has been a revolving door. We've been banned from Europe. We've been uh, let back into Europe. We've taken ourselves out of Europe. We've been hit with financial fair play. We've said sorry they said no we said yes they said yes we said no um so like meanwhile um yeah i've never seen a club not named juventus win the league i've literally it's really disappointing all that to say i've seen a lot of things that are like encouraging and then just like disappear um el shirawi was my first favorite player um and he, you know, I thought he was brilliant, as we all did. And I, you know, I wanted him to stay and it didn't work out on the field, off the field, blah, 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 blah. But a lot of things can happen. This kid is just 18. So I don't want to get too hyped up, but I am absolutely jacked to see Maldini on the pitch in a red and black kit um it's it's nice to see the name out there again and that shirt with the name Aldini on it is pretty heavy and that kid knows it so i mean there's no way he doesn't right like he the, his situ his situational awareness has to be high enough where he knows exactly what is going on and i hope he i hope he succeeds i hope we see a lot from him and if that primavera talent starts translating into success on the pitch it'll be really great to be talking about the success of a maldini for ac milan um so we talked about you know hellas verona 
talked about the debut of Salar Makers and Maldini uh, for AC Milan and the first team. Uh, just to wrap up the transfer market just a little bit, there was one move that could have happened, but for some reason did not happen. And you can hear the confusion in my voice because I I, I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't really understand. Um, Anthony Robinson... The young American, we're going to highlight that, left back, um, was, it sounded like it was pretty, pretty close to being done from Wigan to AC Milan. He's 22, USA International, but he, so these are according to reports, and of course you can check out uh, the article on our website by our manager Mookie at acmilan.theoffside.com. Anthony Robinson's move to AC Milan falls through on deadline day. And uh, to sum up the thoughts of the AC Milan offside staff, the subtitle is The Young Left Back Misses Out on the Opportunity of a Lifetime to Develop Under the Watchful Eye of Maldini. Um, of course, now we have to specify Paolo, not Daniel. Um, nailed it. Um, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. So, according to reports, Robinson flew to Milan and did his medicals, but then the reports start differing. Some reports say, um, Wigan announced there was a complication related to the medical test that required additional checks and could not be completed on time, and then outlets in Italy say Wigan attempted to change the terms of the deal at the last moment and Milan said nope so we're not you know we're not quite sure what happened uh whether it was medical tests that couldn't get done before the deadline or um Wigan trying to switch stuff up um really 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 weird honestly um but I think we can all kind of agree that for a USA international to go from the championship, which is a hard, hard competition. Like, I don't want to minimize the championship here. A hard competition. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, but to have a player go from there to AC Milan would have been a huge jump for the kid. I would have been amped. Um and unfortunately it did not happen um once it you know once the reports started coming through that like hey all this stuff is happening the transfer window shut so i don't know if we are going to try and get him again in the summer um if the latter reports are true that wigan tried to change the deal i don't think we're going back for him in the summer because they're going to say like buzz off to Wigan. i I don't know. I think they might be more sympathetic in because the reason I, you know, we don't know what's true at this point. Um, but the reports out of Italy suggested that they wanted to change the payment method where Milan, if the loan became permanent, if they, if he stayed a Milan player, they wanted the money faster 
they wanted it more up front instead of the scattered payments that Milan were apparently talking about, uh, that they apparently agreed to. It's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of transfers, but you can understand because unless something amazing happens in the next few months, Wigan will be a League One side next year. So there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a parachute that comes with dropping down from the championship to League One, you know, the same way from dropping from the Premier League to the championship, but it's not substantial. And when you're a club like Wigan, we've seen what happens to clubs that fall out of the championship and even clubs that are just sitting at the bottom of the championship year after year, especially over the last few years in English football. It is a dangerous way to live and you're always desperate for money. So I can understand from that standpoint why that might be a reason. Again, I'm, I'm probably just throwing more into the wind and seeing what happens, but that, that was the way I perceived it when I first saw that report, was this is probably them looking after their, their best interests, and if they're going to be giving up a player who has become a very good player for them. He was in, he was in the Everton youth system for a while, and that's when people started to see him become a U.S. national team prospect was he was very good on a team that was winning the Premier League 2 with the Everton U23s. Then he got a shot on loan at Wigan, became a regular in that first team. And that's been the case for now at least a season and a half. So if they were going to lose this kid, they needed to make sure that there were some safety nets for them. And, you know, it's an unfortunate situation. It's an unfortunate situation for him for Milan, for fans who now have to watch Diego Laxalt go back onto the pitch. Um, I did find it interesting that, um, I believe it was Gab Marcotti said, just because, this was the reason I jumped in, and I do apologize for jumping in, by the way. Um, he said, just because it didn't happen now doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Because apparently they do really see something in this kid. And... I'd like to think that if Paolo Maldini comes back for a left back in the summer after failing to get him in the winter, I I think Paolo Maldini has experience with good left backs, or at least knowing what it takes to be a good left back. So I'll trust his word on it. And you know, we've we've seen a little more of Anthony Robinson than probably a lot of Milan fans in Europe or elsewhere. Um, still young. Still a little raw. Um, probably still trying to recover from 2018 when he went one-on-one with Douglas Costa. But a lot of potential there. So, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame all around. But, you know, that's the transfer market sometimes. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see him. Uh, I think it would have been a lot of fun. He has a lot of potential, uh, Anthony Robinson. But as you said, it's not always going to happen. Uh, the last the last thing I want to bring up on the whole like Wigan versus Milan thing is uh, well two things one one of the reports I saw it was weird it was like some report said and I, I apologize I don't remember where I saw it um, but it was like Wigan wanted the because of course this was close to like Brexit day right so um, there was some report that like Wigan wanted the transfer fee in a different currency. 
Oh yeah. Right? You saw this? Okay, I'm not I making saw this that. Up. Yeah, yeah, no. That, like they no. wanted it in pounds instead of euros, which is one strange, right? Like it sounds made up, but one it's strange and two like that's a different amount of money. <laughs> it's not just like if you say like, oh, I want 10 pounds versus I want 10 euros. You did not ask for the same amount of money. Those two are different currencies at a different rate. So obviously not to like make something of it where there isn't anything, right? Because we don't know if that's true. We don't know. We don't know a whole heck of a lot about it, but if if it is true that they wanted pounds, not euros, and AC Milan was ready to do the deal in euros, and then Wiggins said, hey, we want pounds, it would honestly make sense for Milan to say, the hell, man. We negotiated, like, that's a different transfer fee. Um, of course, again, don't know if that's true or not. No one, no one knows the exact outcome of this. The only outcome that we know is that Anthony Robinson is a Wigan player, not a Milan player. And that's just what we're going to have to deal with. And the other thing is uh, there was a lot of like hostility about it. Um, there's a lot, uh, and you and I saw it, um, in particular, uh, in one of our group chats, uh, where people were really miffed about it um which and like I'm, I'm not i'm not sitting here trying to call anybody out that's not what i'm doing but i was surprised at how like aggravated people were about it because like i was excited for anthony robinson too i was excited to see an american on ac milan i've been waiting for that for years yeah. <laughs> so of all of us who are around for a on was 30 minutes as a first teamer yeah, see i've been looking i've i've wanted that but, like, grand scheme of things, like you said, it's not a whole lot of money. And if they, like you said, if they stay in their position, they're going to have to sell players. And he's going to be one of them that they're going to have to sell. They're not going to be able to hang on to him if they go down. Yeah, he's not a League One he's player. He's not a League One player. Or he could be a League One. He could do the uh, Ruben Neves to Wolves thing and go from, remember when Ruben Neves went from Porto in the Champions League to the championship side Wolves and everyone was like what 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 am I missing and Jorge Mendez said it's okay friends nothing to see here and then Ruben Neves bossed the championship for a year and then they got promoted and now he's very good in the Premier League and everyone's like huh that makes sense what if Anthony Robinson just does that and like, no, I'll stay and just absolutely dominates League One for a year. Like just straight up, like calls up Greg Berhalter himself and says, like, you're going to put me in the squad now. Um, but anyway, so, I mean, I, I don't the hostility of like, oh, well, screw you, Wigan. And like, oh, have fun in League One. It's like I, it's the winter transfer market. It happens. I'm fr- I get frustrated by the whole like, you know, January. And this is not an old take, but or this is not a new take. Excuse me. Um, the whole bit of oh, it's January. 
Let's figure out what we want. Let's figure out how we can get a deal done before the window closes. It's like, you knew the opening, you knew the window was opening. You knew it was coming. This isn't a surprise to anybody, but like, they don't seem ready for it to open. And then they don't have their ducks in a row until like the 20th. And then you have like 10 days. And that's why so few deals get done. I'm like, just make it a week. One week. You get, you know, January 1st to January 7th. Get your deals done. Figure it out. You're done. The only loser here is Anthony Robinson. Yep. Who absolutely clearly when he when he got to Milan, all the all the video of him and stuff, he was very, very excited. Oh yeah. And why wouldn't he be? Going from a bottom championship side to one of the premier names in football. I'll say name instead of team because, you know, the state of the club. To play under the watchful eye of Paolo Maldini and to you know, be Teo Hernandez's understudy because he's also fairly a wingback as well. He's he's more of a bomb up the pitch kind of guy than proper defending. It, it makes no difference to Milan that he's not there because Diego Laxalt is going to do the same exact job. He's going to be the number two to Teo. He'll come in. He might be he might be less serviceable than Robinson. And we know that very well from uh, having to watch him last year. But Diego Laxalt over Anthony Robinson is not going to be what makes or breaks results or makes or breaks Milan's season. So the only loser here is the kid who had the dream of moving to a premier club and had that snuffed out at the 11th hour. Yeah, it's not, it's 100% not going to make or break the season we can just it it's just not we're not gonna sink or swim because of it um but to wrap up the transfer market real quick uh before we uh take a quick break and get on to enter and uh one other interesting development in ac milan's future you could say uh, just to run down the arrivals slash departures for AC Milan in the winter window, uh, headlined by Zlatan in Alexis Salermakers. Uh, I will say that with a question mark every time until I get an answer. Um, Salermakers, uh, Ibra Kaiser. Um, we also got, and I didn't know this actually, this is actually kind of funny. Asmir Begovic. Oh, yeah. That was a thing. Yeah, that is somehow a thing. Uh, and Diego Laxalt, as you mentioned. And then out goes Christoph Piontek to Hertha Berlin. Uh, Ricardo Rodriguez to PSV Eindhoven. Both have scored. Uh, Both scored on their debuts, I believe. Yeah, of course they did. Uh, I, saw, I saw the Piontek thing. I did not see that Rodriguez scored. However, Rodriguez is also alone. Yeah. <laughs> It is a loan. And they loaned him because they thought they had Robinson coming in. Yeah. And and like you said, the only reason that Laxalt is here is Anthony Anthony Robinson isn't here. Like that that is the ultimate like Hey guys, we need a left back. Let's get him. Hey guys, looks like we still need a left back. Um so Piontek, Rodriguez, uh Fabio Barini, 
uh, Caldara, Pepe Reina, uh, Suso, uh, all those guys are out. And it'll be interesting to see how the squad behaves. Not behaves, that's the wrong word. But how the squad acts, how the squad really shapes, I guess, with losing frankly two big pieces at least coming into the season you have said Piontek and Suso were probably two of our most important offensive players so it'll be really interesting to see what happens without them going forward because whether or not we will need them we don't have them anymore and I know that sounds super like elementary right but like what if Rebic get inj- gets injured? What if Bonaventura gets injured? What if we go through another injury crisis, right? That's when we're going to start. And I know, like, yeah, we talked about it. Piontek out. Yeah, we're, we're fine with it. Suso out. We're fine with it. But, you know, the whole thing of someone goes out, someone comes in, didn't 100% feel like we got the in part. Uh, we got Salar Makers, which is good, but, like, We'll, we'll see. It'll it'll be interesting. Uh, so on that note, uh, we are going to take a short break. We will be back on the other side. We're going to tell you about something that could drastically affect the future of AC Milan, both their manager and their upper management. Stay right there. This is the Devil Wears Rossonero. And we're back. Welcome back to the Devil Wears Rossonero, uh, the official podcast of SB Nation's AC Milan offside. I'm Patrick Stoll. He's Tim Fontenel at Stoll underscore P at Tim underscore Fontenel. Uh, before we get into Inter, I wanted to go into, at least briefly, I wanted to go into this report that came out earlier this week from the German media. Uh, and I say, I say that because that is just where it originated. I think Build had it first. Um... And then it spread into Italy, and it's such a big story that it made its way into the English papers as well. Uh, and of course, if you want coverage of AC Milan, you can always go acmilan.theoffside.com. AC Milan could reportedly hire Ralph Ragnick as sporting director and manager in pretty much an unprecedented role at the club and I say unprecedented at the club because AC Milan has not done that before um so Ragnick is the current head of international relations and scouting for Red Bull and he according to build is set to join Milan at the end of the season to be both as I said manager and sporting director um, he's worked at Salzburg, RB Salzburg, and RB Leipzig, um, and he's generally regarded, at least from what I've read, as like the recruiting master there. And his strategy, I'm, I'm reading this from the article on our website, the strategy of his three Ks, which... So, I mean, come on, man. Yikes. Capital, 
concept and competence money concept and competence um to rebuild ac milan and he has some other coaching experience schalke hoffenheim he's won two league titles in lower divisions three domestic cups and a continental cup uh so again what you have to focus on with him is his acquisition his recruiting Something that Milan has, dare I say, in the last eight years, greatly lacked in. We don't need to go over the whole thing now. There, there's we. It would it could very well be its own podcast, of transfer hits and misses from 2012 on. Because even players, and this is not a joke, even players who have left and come back are misses. Like who hit once and then they leave and then they come back, they're a miss. That would be, I'm, I'm thinking of El Shirawi and Balotelli specifically. And those are just examples of they're good, they leave, they come back, they miss. So the recruitment has just been bad. Like it, it, we've had we've had hits, right? Bonaventura, Romagnoli, um, the promotion of Donnarumma, right? Uh, Rebic, as of now, okay. I'm gonna put that disclaimer on there. Right now, Rebic, I believe, is a hit. Um, earlier this season, you said Chalanoglu is a miss. Right now, you say Ibra is a hit. Um, oh, what was the other dude we got from Roma when we also got Romagnoli, uh, the midfielder who sucked? It'll come to me. This guy is known for good recruiting. And if he can bring that to AC Milan, more power to him. Um, the only other report, um, that you can look at is Anto Vitiello, excuse me. Uh, said Milan are currently happy with the progress under Stefano Pioli. We all are. And any decision regarding the way forward would only be made at the end of the season, not midway through. So here we are. We have a chance to get a guy who I, I think it's notable. He's not known for his management. This is not a Guardiola. This is not a Klopp. This is not, dare I say, a Mourinho. You know, it's not Zidane. It's not someone who, like, has done it all, right? Huzzah. But he is, he's, um, he sounds brilliant from everything. Because look at where Salzburg and Leipzig are now. And if he can write that ship for us, I think it would be valuable. The only thing that I would need clarification on is where I, I know he would be manager and I know the title would also be sporting director. So, um, a la Peter Vermees at sporting Kansas city. That that's what it rings for me. However, so that would mean Pioli out. I got it. But how does his role, I would need clarification and you and I were talking about this off air. 
how does that role interact and associate with Paolo Maldini, who is technical director, Boban, who is chief football executive or officer, chief football officer, and Gazidis, who is uh, chief executive, question mark? Like, I would need to know where kind of everything, like, okay, you're in the umbrella. I got that. You're doing this. I got that. But where do you interact with the other upper management things? But all in all, I don't know. I, I can't really give an answer as to whether I would say, like, yes or no because we need to see Pioli through to the end of the season. Yeah, Pioli is going to get till the end of the season and if not you're I done. Think yep. I think it's when he signed that contract it was the clause that if you make it to the top 4 it triggers another year but if not that's pretty much it. Right. So I think we've I think the relationship with Pioli has been established. You're here to write the ship as you said. You're here to get things back on track. We don't necessarily see you as the guy for the future, but help us, please. We're dying. Everything hurts. Um, before I get into my view on Ragnick, do you want me to tell you who that Roma midfielder was? Yes, please. Um, first of all, he was our second most expensive player that year behind Bertol- uh, behind Romagnoli. Oh, I just gave it away. Yeah, 25 yeah. million euros for Romagnoli. 20 million for Andrea Bertolacci. Bertolacci. Yep, yeah, that's my gosh. Yeah, that was like that was the high point. I'm sorry, he was the third most expensive player because I forgot about Carlos Baca. Oh my God, the one year wonder. The one year wonder. Baca. This was the summer where the top four signings were Baca, Romagnoli, Bertolacci, and Luis Adriano. Oh my God! And the most successful players to come into the Milan first team that year. Where the mo- the one we paid for was Jaraj Kuchka mm. uh, at three million, but also being promoted from the youth system that year, Cal- Donnarumma and Calabria. Yep, Donnarumma uh, and Calabria. Yeah, that was that was the Mihailovic first year. That he got one year. That was um, he was there until April, yeah. and then Brocky took over for the rest of the season. But yeah, yeah that was his one year in that charge. That was the Mihailovic year. Yep, yeah, that's yep. The lingering effects of Sinisa Mihailovic, by the way, never forget that he was the one, and this is completely just off topic, Sinisa Mihailovic was the one who brought in Romagnoli, and he was the one, like, it, it. I think this is pretty much recognized. He's the guy that was like, I want Donnarumma up. Like, I want him coming up. He benched Diego Lopez, and that was one of the best managerial moves of the last decade for Milan. <laughs> I love when we find these little quirks that we can talk about. Um, Ralph Ragnick. I haven't watched as much German football as I wish I could have over the last few years because the Bundesliga is awesome. The Bundesliga is probably the most enjoyable league in Europe, besides Syria. I've... From I I try I don't get to watch it as much as I like to, um, but I do f- try to follow it as much as I can every week at least like seeing what's going on, and from everything I've seen, this guy is revered 
in Germany. Revered in a country that worships player development, strong recruiting, creating a culture, having a system top to bottom that elevates your club. And I, that's, I feel like that's the German football way. And I think that's something that he has done unbelievably at Leipzig. And you see where Leipzig are now. That is a legit Bundesliga title contender with one of the most wealthy and powerful clubs in the world. And another wealthy and very powerful club in Dortmund. Now, Leipzig are wealthy. Thank you, Red Bull. But to do what they've done to climb through the ranks of German football and to be able to develop this unbelievable team is fantastic. And he has been one of the architects of that. And obviously he has been a big part of the whole Red Bull system. And we've seen what's happened in Salzburg. And we've seen what they're trying to do around the world. I mean, I mean obviously the New York Red Bulls, New York Metro Stars. When they were the Metro Stars, they were pretty good. With the Red Bull, now that they're the Red Bulls, when they're part of this group, it's opened a lot of doors in terms of development. And they've become one of the best developmental clubs on this side of the Atlantic, I would say. I would say even with clubs in Mexico and Brazil, they've done an outstanding job developing players and creating an identity for themselves. And I think that's the kind of thing that Ragnick would bring to a club. I don't know how long this project would be. He's 61 right now. Um, not old in modern times, but, you know, he's extremely experienced, but it's mostly in German football. I wonder how that would translate into Italy, but I think he can do outstanding things. As for the organization of the club, we were kind of trying to figure this out before the show, and we were throwing all these different ideas out there. Like I was saying stuff like um, he would be like the CFO, the chief financial officer, and Maldini would be the CEO, and then that would make Boban the COO of like a company. And then I was thinking, you know, he and Rangnick and Maldini would kind of be like Jim and Michael in the office when Jim became a manager. And <laughs> Rangnick would handle all the day-to-day -day stuff and all of the the actual football and the development, the recruitment. And then Maldini would be seeing more of the administrative stuff, more of the overarching big picture stuff at the club. Uh, but we don't know. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Gazidis. Apparently there's a lot of discontent there. Um, he could end up being a fall guy in the summer. We don't know. Um, maybe... Maybe if Ragnick comes in as manager and sporting director, that elevates the power of Maldini and Boban at the club. You know, there's all this talk about a potential a potential takeover at some point. I still put no stock in those Louis Vuitton stories. Don't don't want to go there yet. Uh, yeah, we're. I feel like this is the first time we've mentioned it, and I think we're gonna go past it real quick. We're only speculating about what the structural changes would be if Ragnick came in, but I still think that he would be a really good hire because of what he could do to reorganize this club and make it a successful winner again. Yeah, I think there's a lot that he can bring, and honestly, 
if he's as good as he's hyped up to be, we can use that help. So we'll we'll see where that goes. Last thing of the podcast. Here we go. Inter hate week. Who you got in the derby? Inter will be without Handanovic and Lotaro Martinez. So, and we will have Benacer back because you can't get suspended when you don't play in the game because you were suspended. So, he will be back, thank heavens, uh, because I don't think we win without him. Uh, I'm not even sure. I know this is a positivity podcast, but I'm not even sure we win with him. Um, Inter, you know, we've talked about their being title contenders, three points behind Juventus right now. They're, you know, not everything has been going their way the past couple of games, but we know exactly what they are, what they can do, what they did to us last time. There are a lot of things going in here, and I have no idea what to think coming in. Uh, I kind of want to say draw, but I also am not sure I can wholeheartedly say I think this will be a draw because I'm I'm not sure if, like, when one of the teams goes ahead, I'm not sure if the other team won't be able to answer you know so i'm not a hundred percent sure where i'm leaning here uh i want to say that we win but knowing exactly what happened to us last time uh i'm not as confident in that because lukaku's scoring this game he's he's going to score on us i'm gonna really put the positivity podcast to work here let's get it um I'm gonna say two one to us, and I'm like gonna it. and I'm gonna elaborate. I promise. Um, Lautaro Martinez is unbelievably important to that Inter team. I think that we're talking about. He's very much appreciated. He's a very very good player. I think he's one of the most underappreciated players in the league this year. I don't think they're. I don't think people are really putting enough stock into just how big Lautaro is for that team. Um, and Handanovic might not be available. Handanovic has a fractured finger, apparently. And he might not play. And there's next to Buffon and ahead of Donnarumma, the best Serie A goalkeeper of the last many years. And you know, he has been unbelievable for darn near two decades um when he was at Udinese what he's doing at Inter and he loves to ruin our days mm-hmm. oh, yeah, um, he's been doing it for a decade plus yeah so you're looking at a situation where Alexis Sanchez is probably going to be playing he's really inconsistent he really hasn't figured it out at at Inter Christian Eriksen's still getting we were talking about oh boy here comes Eriksen Maybe because that's how cruel life is. Either we win 2-1 or he completely ruins our lives and becomes the hero of the Derby overnight. But I don't know. I don't see it happening. They, they're they doing really well. They're, they're really sticking in that title race. 
there are a couple of young guys who have been playing and they've been doing a really good job. But you just got to think that maybe a Darby is just a little too much for them. So I don't think they'll play big roles in the game, but I still, I feel like there's something about this match. Going into this match, I know that we hadn't, we haven't been great the last couple of matches, but you get Benacer back in there. You maybe get Zlatan back in there if he's feeling better. And Rafael Leao gets to go up against Diego Godin again. And he was very, he was very raw, inexperienced at the time he went up against Diego Godin last. And I'm really excited to see what he can do this time if he takes him on. Teo Hernandez is playing really confident these days. I'd love to see him go forward and add another layer to that pressure. Um, Andrea Conti probably isn't going to play in this game. That might make all the difference in the world right there. Yeah, that's a real positive. That might be the biggest difference between that Darby and this one. Because guess what? Milan really didn't play that bad as a club. I remember after when we were going on our rampage after the fact, we were both really mad at Calabria for getting suspended because we had to play Andrea Conti. And Andrea Conti is terrible. And Ricardo Rodriguez played the whole game. And, and Ricardo was... Rodriguez was horrible. Yeah. And Teo wasn't involved. So this is a very different team that's going up against Inter. So I kind of back us in this one i'll be i'll be over the moon with a draw i'll probably shed tears if we win if we lose i'll just shrug and i'll come on here next week and say well in the back of my mind i knew that was going to happen but i wanted to be positive but i'm going to stick with the positivity for now i really like it i'm i want to say win because I was just thinking, like, okay, like if all our, our in-form guys score, that would be Rebic and Teo and Liao probably do for one. But that said, you know, no Handanovic potentially, but Inter's defense is still looking pretty good. So I'm I'm going with a draw here. I think it's going to be 2-2. I think we it might be where we end up like leading. Like we might get our noses in front, but then I think the, I just think the quality of Inter is too much. I think Ericsson will play a factor, which is going to ruin my Sunday. Um, Lukaku is going to score. That's a lock. Um, also going to ruin my Sunday. Um, it would be superb. You know, like I mentioned our inform guys, right? Like Rebic, Teo, maybe Liao, uh, if Benacer somehow scored, you know, stuff like that would be like super cool, right? The coolest scoreline that could happen would be Ibrahim. Ibrahimovic and Maldini winning or scoring, excuse me. It would be 6-0. The best <laughs> the best result would be like infinity, right? This is the I uh, I've I've told you what I always hope for when Juventus and Inter play each other is a scoreless is a score draw with only own goals. So it, of course the in a perfect world it would be like 10-0 like 
seven of them are ours. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if Ibrahimovic and Maldini scored, um, I think I, I I don't think we would have to play the game anymore. I think that would be it. Um, I'd love to. It's I don't think that I'm not saying that's going to happen. I do think it's going to be two two. Um, I'll you know, in my parlay here, I'll go um two two score line, Lukaku to score at any time, and uh, yeah, that that's probably going to be it. Probably. It, I think a safe bet would also be Rebic to score just because of the amount of chaos that he can create as a, as a human. Um, so I, I think that that's a good parlay for me. Uh, I'm not a betting person. I just follow a bunch of betting accounts and watch people win a lot of money when they bet nothing. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what I got. I really, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that we win. Right, I, I but I just see a little too much quality in Inter, and Erickson better not score. I swear to God, if that dude scores on us, like it's gonna be like the most insulting goal too. It's gonna be on a free kick. It's gonna be a car. Or it's gonna be one of those Icardi really make you hate this moments, which I'm glad that Icardi is gone because he's actually a lot of fun to watch. I'll never enjoy him. I'll never forgive what he did to Maxi Lopez. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't like him, but he is fun to watch. PSG with Icardi up front is just so much fun to watch, and I'm glad that I can at least sit back and be like, yeah, he's not that bad, is he? Even though he is a total terrible person. Like, he clearly is not a good dude. Um, but now, of course, instead of Icardi scoring on us, we get Lukaku scoring on us. So, really a lateral move. Um, anyway, so yeah, I got 2-2. Tim has 2-1. Uh, let us know your picks when you listen. Uh, at Stoll underscore P, at Tim underscore Fontenot, and at SBN Rossonero. Let us know what you think the score is going to be, who's going to score, who is going to take home leg two of the Derby della Madonnina uh, on Sunday, Milan playing Inter. And of course, thank you very much for listening to the AC Milan Offsides Devil Wears Rossonero. Uh, again, at Sol underscore P, at Tim underscore Fontenot. Tim, my man, thanks a lot once again. And uh, hopefully we're celebrating an AC Milan win uh, in the next episode. Here's hoping. Once again, for probably the fifth time this podcast and not the last time friendly reminder that milan is red thanks again for listening for tim for the staff of the ac milan offside i'm patrick thanks a lot for listening we'll see you next time milan is red let's get this red hi friends thanks again for listening and guess what You've made it all the way to the end of the podcast. That means that there are a few more ads headed your way in just a couple of seconds, but I'll give you a quick countdown so you have time to find something else to listen to, even if that happens to be another Devil Wears Rossonero episode, wink, wink. So thanks again from me and Tim for listening, and uh, the ads are on their way in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1.